7 Eastern tip time at 710. Michigan Clemson live on the sports stream from KC. Until then, good night from sunny Ann Arbor. Open right wing one. Three, it's good! Holy cow! It's a nine-point game. 11 in a row for Michigan. That was a 30-footer way beyond the line. And the shot has been so cold, it's that one. Nine-point game. Four, ten to go. And always, so often, you have to work so hard when you're down a big difference in the work your way back in the game. Once you get within striking distance, you're out of gas. We'll see how much Michigan has left. Still down by nine. Four minutes to go. This has got awfully interesting, very subtly, as Michigan scored 11 in a row. Meacham, top of the key. High screen from Tisdale. Meacham, great feed to Brock beneath the basket, reverse layup, can't hit. And the rebound cleared by Stu Douglas, who controls for Michigan. Now C.J. Lee across midcourt. Michigan has really locked down on the defensive end. C.J. Lee with the ball. Michigan's got it. Make sure they get a wide shot off Sims. Into the lane. Tough shot with his left hand. Off glass it in. It's a seven-point game. 13 in a row for Michigan. Final shot for Lee. Oh, he threw it away. Meacham takes it away. Michigan will just back up. And that'll do it. A dominant second half from Illinois. Large contingent of Illini fans here at Conseco. Come to their feet. Illinois through to the semis. Michigan. Oh, wait to see where they play come Selection Sunday. The number seven seed in the South, the Clemson Tigers, the seventh team out of the ACC. Oliver Purnell has now led three different schools to the NCAA tournament, and they will face, coming out of Ann Arbor, the seventh Big Ten team, the Michigan Wolverines. It's been a long wait for Michigan, about 10 years, and towards the end of the show, they deserve to make the tournament. I think their road win at Minnesota is what clinched their bid. They doubled their win total from a year ago. They upset both UCLA and Duke early in the season. Well, yes, indeedy, Michigan is in March Madness for the first time in quite some time. Yeehaw. Days are getting warmer. St. Patty's Day is tomorrow. Things are looking up all over the place except for the American economy. But anyway, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer, uh, offering you the warning that you might want to look down tomorrow, too, despite all the reasons to look up. <clears throat> because with bars opening at 7 a.m. to yes. start serving alcohol to the thirsty adherence of the bizarre notion that Getting as drunk as you can, as quick as you can, is the St. Patrick's thing to do. Might already just be lying face down in the curb while you're on your way to work. Yeah, or there may <laughs> be a puddle of material right. related to green beer. A uh, And just a warning about the green beer. Just remember those uh, establishments out there. Don't ruin the good beer. <laughs> Turning it green with food coloring. It is the weakest, the worst beer possible, so... Don't have too many of those, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, yeah, the whole thing is bizarre. I'm, I'm a cab driver, so I've actually been working the night before oh, St. Patty's Day starts. And it's rather remarkable when you start getting cab orders at 5 in the morning for people who want to go stand in line to get wow. into the bars to open up at 7. And one of my all-time favorites was a couple of years ago I noticed a fellow over at an establishment on Southview uh, waiting in line. In his robe and slippers, which obviously was a signal that he was simplifying his life and uh, was merely going to <laughs> pass out again, uh... get wasted, stumble a block or two home. I'm sure he lived around the corner because uh, you wouldn't uh, normally dress like that to go to the bar. 
and pass out and start all over again. Yeah, what a strange um, tradition St. Patty's Day has become in America. Well, certainly the Irish find it somewhat ridiculous, yeah. the extents to which uh, Americans uh, go. And, of course, in Chicago, they dye the river. Uh, my sister lived in Ireland for a year and watching the TV news with the, her host family, they were all like, sure, and that's mad to dye the river. Yeah. Uh, and the whole green beer thing. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, don't get me wrong, there is a lot of alcoholism in Ireland and it is a big part of the culture. Uh, but uh, green beer certainly isn't. But if you, you look at their uh, alcohol-related bicycle fatalities, I think Ireland probably leads the world in that uh, dismal category. Yeah. The one good thing is that cabbage is cheap for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and True. Cabbage is, um, by the way, one, a, an incredibly nutritious it's vegetable. It's very healthy. It's a part of the cruciferous group. Uh, this is your grandmother, boys and girls, letting you know that cabbage, despite its sort of blasé uh, taste, uh, is actually incredibly nutritious. It prevents cancer. It's part of the cruciferous uh, group of vegetables, including broccoli, cauliflower, mm -hmm. Brussels sprouts, and the like. And, of course, some of your Chinese vegetables are genetically related. And, um, yeah, go out and buy some cabbage, a couple of, <laughs> couple of heads of it. Make some coleslaw. Uh, make egg rolls. They're a wonderful little— uh, Tis the season for those, too. Fun little— uh, um, Use of cabbage. You can uh, boil up quite a bit of the stuff and add other vegetables. and Make yourself some nice Polish Golumpkis for St. Joseph's Day tomorrow. And stuffed cabbage uh, works also. <coughs> anyway, speaking of stuffed cabbages. <laughs> and uh, There's a loaded segue. Or a Wall Street <laughs> term that I heard today regarding the, the bear uh, market rally that we've been having the last uh, several days in which a prominent uh, critic called it uh, a, a, a repeat of Groundhog Day, and that uh, it was a, this is a great financial term, a dead cat bounce. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something like the stray cat strut? Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of dead cat bounces, Dick Cheney is back in the public sphere with remarkable claims. Uh, this is just amazing stuff. Uh, so we'll just give him a brain damage award and quote some of the remarkable things he said yesterday on CNN. Now, I don't know if Wolfman Jack Blitzer was interviewing Dick Cheney. That's right. That's right. But <laughs> this guy is a dead cat bounce. Um, he's back. Um, and this, by the way, is a preemptive strike. We've had a startling revelation. Uh, Seymour Hirsch has a new book coming out. Mm -hmm. Claims uh, pretty much from reliable intelligence sources high up in the government. And he has them, folks. This guy is second to none as far as journalism with those key sources inside the government that right. reveal the truth. Well, and there's a number of uh, individuals in the intelligence agencies who've been very disgruntled, to put it mildly, yeah. for the last eight years, the way they've been used and hung out to dry and uh, et cetera. Anyway, the synopsis or the summary of this is that uh, uh, Cy Hirsch appeared at a public forum in Minnesota sometime last week and revealed um, in his upcoming book that Dick Cheney 
operated an assassinations death squad unit out of the vice president's office in violation of U.S. law. Now, this is just going to be unbelievable, uh, the ramifications of this, uh, because uh, there have been a number of assassinations that have occurred in recent uh, years under the so-called war on terrorism. Mm -hmm. Many Americans would say, yeah, that's okay with us. We don't have a problem with it. But there actually is an executive order that Gerald Ford, who Dick Cheney was actually serving right. under, who signed an executive order, ironically, in response to previous reporting by Seymour Hersh. This is incredible. And this apparently is in his upcoming book. I don't have the title but look forward uh, to another blockbuster, uh, remarkable book by Seymour Hersh, who, uh, unlike Bob Woodward, and I have a lot of uh, a lot of good things to say about Bob Woodward, but at times he can be a little bit too much of a court historian, as mm. they say. Seymour Hersh is no such person. Um, anyway, Dick Cheney appearing on. Uh, CNN yesterday, uh, probably, by the way, in a preemptive strike related to uh, a Mark Danner um, editorial that appears in yesterday's editorial section of the New York Times, which is basically a shortened version of an article upcoming um, in the New York Review of Books. He's, uh, Mark Danner's had a number of very interesting um, books about torture and torture policy. Anyway, getting back to Dick Cheney uh, defending uh, the Bush administration. First, he goes out of his way to criticize Obama. He says, quote, he's making some choices that, in my mind, will, in fact, raise the risk to the American people of another attack. Um, this in connection with the fact that Obama has decided to eventually shut down Guantanamo, take these right. prisoners, put them on trial, transfer them to the United States, and use some sort of semblance of due process of law, including American citizens. Continuing, Dick Cheney said, quote, I think that those programs were absolutely essential to the success that we enjoyed in being able to collect the intelligence that let us defeat all further attempts to launch attacks against the United States since 9-11. Quote, I think that the programs, that there was a great success story, unquote. It was done legally. It was done in accordance with our constitutional principles. This wow. is remarkable. Just because um, you say it, Mr. Cheney, does not make it so. Yeah. Up <laughs> until 9-11, it was treated as a law enforcement problem. You go find the bad guy and put him in jail, put him on trial. Cheney continues, and this is another remarkable claim. Once you go into a wartime situation, it's a strategic threat. Then you use all of your assets to go after the enemy. You go after the state sponsors of terrorism, places where they've got sanctuary. You use your intelligence resources, your military resources, your financial resources, everything you can in order to shut down that terrorist threat against you. Where have you been for seven years, Mr. Cheney? Osama bin Laden is alive and well somewhere in Pakistan. Right. And Pakistan is deteriorating, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, all sorts of new problems there. Uh, new drone uh, situations killing 
uh, you know, the continuing problems in the northwest border and whatnot. This is just remarkable revisionist history. And to call things uh, a great success, this is just incredible. Well, the guy has absolutely zero credibility at this point. The fact that they even carted him out. Uh, you know, or, or afforded him the the time on the news program is is fairly remarkable in and of itself. I'm not sure if he's still in his strange love uh, transport vehicle there, fighting his own arm for. Uh... Oh my goodness! Uh, well, if uh, I don't know when this uh, Seymour Hirsch book is scheduled to come out, but uh, Cheney uh, must be aware that that is uh, got a publisher's. Uh, scheduling release date uh he is trying this seems very much like a preemptive comment that mm -hmm. i'm going to uh defend my turf here from these attacks and uh it's pretty clear that uh these are indefensible statements by dick cheney either complete falsehoods or so wildly illegal that they're truly indefensible and by the way it's important to remember that one of the key quote terrorists that was I guess the word would be rendited. <laughs> I don't know. Rendering is what you do to like yeah. a meat or a food product. Exactly. So. The policy of rendition was transferred um, to Egypt, tortured, uh, and he gave false information that the Bush administration then publicly used to justify the invasion of Iraq. This is what the historical record is. Yeah. And by the way, one of the uh, countries that the United States apparently um, used the policy of rendition with was Syria. Um, very questionable. And bizarre because there you know, has been efforts to bring Syria back into the fold. Of course, under uh, President Hafez al-Assad, they were with Bush the first coalition against the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait. Uh, that uh, man has since died. His son now runs the place, and there's a sort of a tenuous a footsie yeah. game going, well, will we talk with Israel, will we not talk with Israel? And uh, An example, by the way, of sort of the, the conflict that dictators have with each other sometimes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Dick Cheney, Brain Damage Award. Um, I would recommend that the Obama administration contemplate buying one of the inevitably uh, mothballed Chrysler plants, arrest Dick Cheney, tickle him with a feather, <laughs> and see if we can get some truth out of this man. Yeah, there is a lot of information, valuable, truly valuable information that he does possess. I mean, for example, those energy meeting minutes and memos, which... You know, the office of uh, the GAO, the General Accounting Office, mm -hmm. uh, uh, tried to pressure him to do. And that was when he claimed executive privilege and then later claimed that he wasn't part of the executive. That, yeah. that as the, you know, president of the Senate, he was really part of the legislative branch. This guy is maybe the slipperiest, uh, most loathsomely uh, snake-like politician since Nixon, certainly, but maybe even really more evil than Nixon. Well, and he has bizarre theories of the U.S. Constitution, as you just mentioned. And it's important to realize that David Addington and John Yoo, who was the toady, so to speak, that the Bush administration was using at the Office of Legal Counsel, it was his, Dick Cheney's, quote, 
legal slash security advisor David Addington that was behind this entire development of these broad constitutional powers that mm. Bush assumed after 9-11 right. without informing anybody that basically said because we're in a wartime situation here in which, by the way, no war was declared, um, the United States, you know, we, we, it's just historical fact that the United States started a war against Afghanistan on the 7th of October uh, of 2001. Uh, Bush made this decision after telling the American people that he was going to smoke them out of their holes, which uh, I think was the first time I laughed uh, during 9-11 because I immediately thought of <laughs> Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. And I thought, okay, Mr. Gopher. <laughs> this is just too bizarre that we have the President of the United States talking like a drunken... Elmer Fudd or something, <laughs> a cartoon character. Yeah. Incredible. Um, this basically, Bush made the decision to go to war against uh, Afghanistan um, that weekend, that weekend yeah. of 9-11. It seemed like the thing to do. Yeah. and uh, Bomb the, uh, Afghanistan up to the Stone Age. And never mind, by the way, that there were no Afghanis... Or Iraqis, by the way, um, involved in the direct bin Laden network, assuming that bin Laden was even behind all of 9-11. Right. Which uh, I think that there are still some unanswered questions about 9-11. Um, we need not get into some of the conspiracy theories. No, but in that tickle session, it might be worth talking to Dick Cheney about such matters. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, this is public relations. This is the classic example, by the way, of how political controversies and historical truth can get, shall we say, fudged up and fuzzed up if you just keep the dispute and the debate going without ever actually looking at the facts. Right. This has been done with evolution, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, abortion policy, stem cell research policy that's been in the news and, of course, economic history. Uh, we have a remarkable percentage of Americans that think that somehow Barney Frank is responsible for the problems that we're having on Wall Street these days. Well, those would be Rush Limbaugh listeners, I would <laughs> guess. It's just crazy. I mean, Barney Frank's been in charge of the House Banking Committee for the last two years. Gee, what about Phil Graham? He uh, ran yeah. that committee for a number of years. Or the whole concept of deregulation, and of course the the horror stories from AIG just boggle the mind. Well, and then there's this brilliant but uh, oh so too late observation from Jack Welch, the former uh, chief executive officer of uh, General Electric, who uh, told the Financial Times over the weekend that, uh, quote, on the face of it, Shareholder value is the dumbest idea in the world. Shareholder value is a result, not a strategy. Your main constituencies are your employees, your customers, and your products. And what he's commenting on is this mania that uh, we've seen uh, run right through the roof and then the walls and the floor of the American financial world, and as a result, the world, of the growth-based profit-based 
bottom line approach to economic systems and structures, which are ultimately devastating to all of what he now recognizes as main constituencies, employees, customers, and products. So uh, nicely observed, Jack Welch. Uh, shareholder value is the dumbest idea in the world, or certainly one of them, but uh, it's a little late to denounce corporate obsessions, which is what the headline calls for. And, of course, it's nicely paired right across. This is the uh, Financial Times of last Friday, March 13th. Uh, Bernie Madoff being escorted past the uh, phalanx of uh, media there. And his quote is, I cannot adequately express how deeply sorry I am for what I have done. I, I think that's literally true. I, I don't think it is possible for any one man to adequately express uh, how sorry they must be for so badly screwing over uh, countless individuals of their life savings and investments. So uh, what a just punishment is in that situation, I don't know. Yeah, but, and, uh, and with the concept of derivatives and the vocabulary of the financial unraveling as we're seeing it, I, I think I was making this comment to you a couple weeks ago when we went down to the uh, Red Wings game that this is turning into Dixonian um, verbiage. It's, oh, right, it's yeah. It's just hilarious that you have ratings, ratings agency called Moody's and Standard and Poor, that you have this giant sucking sound of taxpayer money now up to, I believe, $170 billion of the American International Group, right? which and summarizes the entire uh, sort of... Uh, you know, they talk about decoupling, but this is the coupling of <laughs> finance capital. And, of course, the revelations just— It does seem like something from a Charles Dickens novel. Well, it's just amazing. And, of course, the, the you know, Madoff. Right. Perfect name for a crook. Um, Bush. <laughs> He's uh, the chairman of the Bush Leagues. Um, and, of course, you know, we, we get this, this brand-new report about— the banks that are that AIG is beholden to because of the derivatives and it's right. it's remarkable. I mean, these are international institutions. The taxpayer is giving money to AIG that is then paying for investment losses. Then you have bonuses, bonuses that are interestingly almost the the million and the billion shouldn't be confused here. But it's remarkable that money is sort of going in one end and out the other. Um, it's starting to look kind of like oil. Uh, the wheels have been oiled quite a bit. But uh, how to sort all of this mess out is uh, anybody's guess. And let's remember that the, the bailout of AIG, we'll talk more about this uh Maybe in an upcoming show, you know, it's 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 there's there's a reason that it's happening, and a pretty good analysis, just real simply, is that you have these insurance policies. This part of the business seems to be okay, but the der derivatives, the casino, is the part that's rotten and is hemorrhaging all the money. Mm. But as uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin points out. Um, and, by the way, these insurance um, laws are uh, regulated by law. He writes in a recent column uh, doing an analysis on the uh, 
compelling safe uh, case to save AIG, written by AIG and read in Washington. <laughs> Perfect subtitle there. He says, one of the biggest worries, besides the considerable collateral damage to the banking system, is a risk that most people aren't talking about, perhaps because it's too scary. This one is probably easier to understand than any kind of financial chicanery. The dangers lurking be uh, below AIG's seemingly stable, highly regulated life insurance business. In the United States, AIG has more than 375 million policies with a face value of $19 trillion. These are in insurance policies. If policy uh, holders lost faith in AIG and rushed to cash in their policies all at once, the entire insurance industry could falter. A, quote, run on the bank in the life and retirement business would have sweeping impacts across the economy in the United States, according to the AIG document. In countries around the world with higher savings rate than the U.S., the failure of insurance companies would be a catastrophe, unquote. This, by the way, is probably some of the substance of the infamous secret meeting that Henry Paulson had with senators last September as to why AIG had to be bailed out. Yeah. This is a scary situation indeed. Warren Buffett has called derivatives the financial weapons of mass destruction. And, um, you know, when you have the Chinese prime minister openly talking about uh, being worried about the uh, trillion dollars of investment that China has in the United States, and Obama then the very next day having to respond to that publicly, you start getting an idea of the structural generational problems that this house of cards uh, that's been created here by simplistic nonsense like tax cuts, create growth, deregulation is always bad, and uh, we have a, not a wall of voodoo here, but a pile of doo-doo, <laughs> and we certainly have voodoo economics that's come crashing down. Well, yeah, crashing down is the phrase to focus on because it's impossible to rebuild a house of cards, and it's futile to sort of keep one up as it's falling. Especially if AIG gave you the mortgage. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> really, one would hope that at some level, you know, someone in the Obama administration is looking at how to, and I really doubt that this is happening, I hate to say it, but uh, there needs to be some vast structural change that it seems like we're doomed to not experience. And those observations, by the way, by and Andrew Ross Sorkin uh, appear in the New York Times on the 3rd of March. And he's responding to a 21-page document that's been, quote, getting all the attention in Washington. It's marked confidential and titled, AIG, Is the Risk Systemic? Well, inquiring <laughs> minds want to know. And I don't know if Britney Spears can bail out America with some songs. <laughs> if only it could happen. Well, between she and Bob Dole and the good people of Michael Dancing Jackson. with the Stars. I guess he's got a tour coming up. <laughs>
anything's possible, right? Well, of course, Michael Jackson no longer lives here. He's living in uh, Muscat or Oman or <laughs> living in a zoo in Madagascar. Yeah, that's right, a zoo that the South Koreans probably own at this point. Yeah, I understand they're buying huge tracts of land of Madagascar to. Uh, well, grow, hey, grow food. Maybe the here's the uh, my uh, investment tip for the future, uh, people, is uh, buy as much land as you can because we just might be witnessing the return of manorialism. Yeah, uh, in our lifetimes, and make sure that it's a little larger than the uh, huge tract of land that Woody Allen bought in Love and Death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you'd you'd want to get beyond that uh, scale for sure. Well, from the uh, latest Harper's Index, a couple of uh, interestingly paired uh, items here that uh, the, the two pairs contrast each other well. Uh, the first is projected number of extra U.S. deaths that the current recession will cause, according to a Texas professor, 71,000. Number of these that will be suicides and homicides, respectively, 1,800, 1,300. Well, compare those rather bleak uh, findings to this interesting pair of uh, numbers. Estimated number of jobs that would be created under a U.S. single-payer health care system, 2,600,000. Ratio of this to the total number of U.S. jobs lost last year, one to one. Mm -hmm. There are ways to rebuild a system that both gives... Americans' jobs that, you know, offer a living wage and the decent prospect of education for one's family and children and uh, things like health care and renewable energy. And mm -hmm. we just need to break away from these systems, these decaying and corrupt systems, uh, which have uh, monopolized American history. Yeah. And I think that on the you know, the optimistic side uh, that uh, maybe we can start to wind down the show with is that I think that Obama overall is, is heading America in the right direction. He understands that this is about renewable energy, that it's about reforming health care, though I think that whole situation is going to turn into a big mess, unfortunately, because the uh, vested interests have already got their big pharmacy hands in the cookie jar already. Uh, they're making the, the cake, and um, this is not good. Uh, the insurance industry doesn't want to be put out of business, and nor do the pharmaceuticals. So we have all kinds of mischief going on there. But a recognition that, yes, green jobs are the way to go. Yes, education is essential uh, for reforming uh, the United States of America because it's been neglected far too long we uh have been told uh it's uh, time to go so we will sign off for the night and thanks to andrew for engineering and you are listening to wcbn fm ann arbor do stay tuned yazoo city calling coming up next right here on this fine station with uh, morgan i believe i think we saw him so take her away morgan sisterin and brethren we're gonna sing a song called Climbing Up Zion's Hill, a song that's good for the soul. The King's Highway 